In this episode, I talked to my mentor, Matt Millen, who's one of the greatest sales leaders I've ever met in my life. Matt's gonna talk about everything modern as it relates to sales and technology. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Sales Edge Podcast, where we deliver the best of the best tools and strategies to help you hunt new business, keep your accounts, and most importantly, grow your territory and grow your company. I'm Gene McNaughton, and I've been selling, managing, leading, training, and consulting sales teams to record-breaking growth for more than 30 years. And I want to invite you to make the Sales Edge part of your learning library. Each podcast will be between 10 and 30 minutes, so you can learn while you drive, work out at the gym, eat your lunch, or even sitting in your office. And each episode, you're going to be able to get inside the heads of some of the most brilliant people in the areas of sales, marketing, leadership, business, and overall success. Today, I am super pumped to have Matt Millen with us. And Matt is the sharpest, by far the sharpest leader, mentor, friend, and, and manager that I've ever had the chance to be around. Let me tell you a little bit about Matt. Him and I met back in 1999, so 21 years ago, while we were both at a computer company called Gateway 2000. And Matt came in as one of those, those leaders that were brought in and he was in a different division and I watched this guy operate and grow. And eventually I had the opportunity to go to work for him in building the small to medium business division. And I learned so much from this guy all the way back when I was you know, 29, 30 years old. Then you know, we all moved on and shortly thereafter, I, as many of you know, I went to work as the global VP of sales for Tony Robbins and Matt and I reconnected. I invited him to an event and eventually, you know, he, he saw the, the magic that happens at the Tony Robbins events and all of the great things around psychology and peak performance and he decided he wanted to join and that was right at the time I was moving on to something else. So Matt took over as the global VP of sales for the one and only Tony Robbins and took that business that I had almost doubled and grew that even more. So very, very impressive. Then Matt moved on to work for T-Mobile as one of their sales VPs, eventually growing into being the national VP of B2B sales. And he, fortunately, he brought me in to help his sales teams, his managers, his leaders from everything from sales process to being even more effective in terms of presenting and boardrooms and public speaking. Matt moved on to outreach.io and he became their chief growth officer and took this company from a startup to a multi-million dollar business. And then he moved on to Sapper Consulting, the number one company for getting meetings and leading sales conversations. And I am super honored to have Matt here. And I gotta say this, I, I, must, I must say this right now. I have never met or known anybody in my life that had more of a Midas touch than Matt Millen. And I've tracked this guy for more than 21 years. Wherever he goes, records happen. And more importantly than that are all the thousands of people that he's impacted, whether they were direct reports, salespeople, managers, leaders, or even the board members around him. He makes everybody better wherever he goes. Now, before we get going, I want to make sure that you connect with Matt on LinkedIn. That's the best way to get to him so you can read his articles and what he's doing in the world to help the world be a better place and help companies grow. So let's go to work. Matt, welcome to the Sales Edge, my friend. 
Gene, it's great to be here with your audience and spend some more time with you, my friend. <laughs> hey, so tell us more about your journey. I gave a very quick overview, but walk me through how you got in sales and eventually moved into being the brilliant mind that you are. You, you tell a better story than my mother does when she talks about it. So well done. <laughs> you know, the only thing you didn't cover were the early years. You know, I started selling before most of your listeners were born. I was selling in 1987. And this was a time before the internet was a thing. Uh, this was before companies used email. Uh, and we literally grew up in the world of uh, setting appointments by phone, the yellow pages, the Better Business Bureau pages in the morning and mm -hmm. running meetings in the afternoon. And, you know, for me, it's been a real trip to watch technology work its way into the sales organization. You know, we, we take for granted today the sales stack, but for a long time, the sales teams were the only teams in a company that weren't modernized. Manufacturing's been modernized, human resources is modernized, yeah. marketing has automation. You know, in the last really five to six years, we've seen just this revolution of technology that's available to help amplify and accelerate the front line, the leadership, and for companies to bring their products to market in a really great and efficient way. That's excellent. Now, Matt, everywhere you go, you've won. And I followed every step of your career. And I want you to talk about winning. I mean, you know, the only other person I can think of is like Bill Belichick, who's won so many Super Bowls. But everywhere you go, the company, whether it's a startup that goes to record-breaking heights or it's a company that's had sales teams for years and you make radical transformation in those sales teams like you did at T-Mobile, how do you, what's your take on that? Share it. I think there's, um, like there's, there's a, a passion for winning. I mean, if we just break down, like when you're listening to this podcast with Gene, you know, if you're a leader, you know, you've been hired to take a team to hit those company goals and to win. You know, if you're a frontline or individual contributor, you've got a quota to hit. Uh, and winning is not easy. Like, we just have to be real about that. Winning's not easy. So you want to put an organization in place that makes winning possible. I mean, look at the stats. It takes 15 touches today to get a response. Seven no's to get a yes. 50% of the reps in America won't make their number. You combine that pre-COVID, you combine that with high pressure organizations to make their number, you're rolling out constant change. And again, this is all pre-COVID. And you know, you think about winning, like it just does not happen by mistake. It does not happen by accident. And you know, great leaders put winning structures in place uh, and focus on getting, getting to the right number, doing it the right way, and we'll talk more about some frameworks for setting that up, but like leaders have to create winning environments for winning to happen predictably and consistently. Now, Matt, we have both had the unique pleasure of working alongside the world's number one peak performance coach, Tony Robbins. And anybody who's listening to this now that's listened to Tony or you follow his work is it's, you know, mindset is 80% of the equation of success, but I want to get your take on that. I'll take you back. In addition to starting to sell in 1987, I actually started racing cars. Uh, I grew up very poor, so I didn't grow up racing. I grew up dreaming about racing, but I had the opportunity to start racing after college. 
And what I realized on the racetrack, Gene, was that there was more bad luck than good luck on the racetrack. And what I mean by that, like if I made a mistake, like I hit the brakes too early or I hit the brakes too late, like I would lose positions. If I didn't do the corner right, I'd lose positions. If I had a mechanical failure, I'd lose positions. But the bad luck was like, if you made a mistake, you would cost me positions. Like if you blew up an engine, you could take me out of the race. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what can I control? Like, there's a lot going on on a racetrack. And I figured out like, number one was like the investment in yourself, the investment in the car. Like the more money that I invested in my car or my sponsors invested to make my car go faster, to keep me safer, like the best equipment, the better I do. So one was the investment. Number two was preparation. Like I would spend 40 hours a week preparing. I would practice eight laps for every one race lap. So when it came time to get on the track, like I had the best equipment, I, I was prepared and I was practiced. Uh, so I could do my best work. You can't control everything, but you control what you can control. No different in sales. Like you get out into the sales environment and there's a lot of bad luck, more than good luck. Like your decision maker gets fired your or your economic buyer or your champion gets moved to a different project or your competitor lobs in a price missile and blows you out of the water or COVID hits and everything stalls. Like, like what do you do as a rep? What do you do as a leader to prepare for these moments? And it's, it's the exact same thing like the investment, the preparation and the practice. So I came up with a methodology of what we control in sales. And I call it SAM, S-A-M, story, activity, and mindset. These are the three things that we control. We control the words that come out of our mouths. We control the actions and activities that we make and take all day. And we get to manage our attitude toward the business. And the M is the mindset piece, right? M is the mindset. Go deeper on Sam a little bit here. And I know Jake, you'll have a lot of fun with this, Gene, because no one does mindset like you do. Uh, but first is story. Like making sure that you are uh, able to build rapport, able to be relevant, meaning that the pain you solve is the pain that your prospect has, and that you've got credibility. So whether or not it's your first call, middle of the funnel, you're closing, like you have to have the right words, the right story, total passion, conviction, and energy to move a buyer to yes, or the buying table to yes, as you like to say. Uh, and you've got to know what the common objections are and be ready for them. Um, hey, Matt, so with on the story piece, like anytime I go into a new company and I perform an audit, which part of that audit or, or investigation of the company is, I'm going to interview five to 10 of the sellers. And when I do that, I'll put them in situations. I put them under complete confidentiality. And then I'll say, so tell me what you say when this happens. Tell me about voicemails you leave. And I actually have them role play. And I have yet to go into one company where all five or all 10 of the reps had the same story or the same positioning. Why is that? Number one, it's hard to do. It is hard to do. And most leaders didn't do it. So it's not part of their game plan. Uh, most reps don't like to do it. And quite frankly, people think they're better than the system. And I think, you know, having these stories is delicate. 
I always like to say, if you don't know where you're going, you don't know how to get there. <laughs> and when, and yeah. when people jump on the phone and just have a conversation that's not deliberate and intentional of where they're taking this prospect, this customer, whatever it may be, they don't know where to go. And then the, the first minute that the customer uh, puts an objection out there or, or some tangent, like the rep gets lost because they don't know where they are and how to get back to the right story. So it's super important like that you have, and I, I'm gonna use the word scripted, but there's certainly some variability here, but you have scripted conversations that follow each of the stages of the sales process. There are certain things that need to get done when you're setting the initial meeting. Mm -hmm. There's a conversation around the discovery. There's a great way to uh, script out a, a really hard hitting, high impacting demonstration process for reps or teams that you know have demos and all the way through the proposal, like script out an amazing proposal meeting. Um, and what you'll find, Gene, not only do you say you don't see this in organizations, uh, but I can tell you when we were at outreach, we would have customers say to us, like, your proposal is so tough. We're going to start using your process. <laughs> and I would tell you that today with COVID, like there is no room for slop in the sales process. There's no room for slop. And you need to be enviable in what you do and how you do it to stay relevant, to move through some of the extra noise that's in the buying cycles today. Yeah, don't you find though, e even in the, the quality of the sales process or the quality of the hunt, that sellers can stand out just by the quality of what they do, irregardless of their product. Let's assume everybody's got a competitive product or service. Some of you are, are pitching and selling the highest, most expensive thing in your market. Some of you are in market range, but the, the integrity and the depth of the process is important. That, that's what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, quality product needs a quality pitch. Yeah, premium price requires a premium story. So that's the first one. The second part of Sam is activity. activity. Yeah, look, this is how we spend our day. Like if you just think this is how we spend our day. Mm -hmm. uh, most reps today, maybe not all, but most reps today uh, have some sales automation that is helping to amplify their activity. Uh, there's platforms that are doing some of the mundane tasks for them, follow-up emails, um, loading tasks and activities in a sales force on their behalf, you know, freeing them up to do their best work, which is having conversations, you know, with their customers and with their prospects. Yeah, but Matt, but here's what I find, you know, you know how many companies I've consulted, uh, 159, and I, most of them have salesforce.com. They're mid-market or enterprise level clients. And I've only found one company so far that, effectively used all of the tools in Salesforce. Most companies I go to, and I, if I'm talking to the business leader, the, the key question I can ask is, tell me how you get your pipeline and forecast reports. And almost every time I get the eye roll, like that's the most frustrating thing I have to do, because the truth is it should all come through salesforce.com. And in most cases, they're still getting them on spreadsheets or Word docs or smoke signals, whatever. But why is that? Well, first of all, look, Salesforce is great, or we could even just call it CRM. Like there's a room for CRM. CRM is a system of record. Sales reps don't make money using a system of record. Sales reps make money using a system of action. So there are engagement layers today that sit on top of Salesforce that provide the automation layer, the next best action layer, the insights layer, 
like habits and bias, things that we used to do because they, they either worked for us or they felt right in the moment. Habits and bias are replaced now with data and insights. Like we know what to do now because the data says to do it, not because I've always done it that way or it's what I want to do. And it's a transformation that's going on in sales right now. Okay, so we've talked about story, which everybody listening to this, you control the story that you tell, whether it's your company giving you or not giving you the information or the training, ultimately you control that. Secondarily, you control your activity. You may have a manager that wants to know everything it is you do. You may have a manager or leader that's saying just hit the outcome and they don't need to know those details. But at the end of the day, you control your activity. Third is mindset. And we both have great takes on mindset. And this audience has heard a lot of my takes on mindset. I want to hear yours. You know, when I talk about mindset, uh, you know, when I connect with different leaders or different reps, I, I, I put it in the position of attitude. Like, what's your attitude? Like, what's your attitude toward the business? What's your attitude toward the product? What's your attitude toward your accountability of hitting your number? Like, like in the terms of attitude, and I think, you know, if you have a good attitude or a bad attitude, and we can use the word mindset inter interchangeably, mm -hmm. but think about, and you remember the four boxes, you know, you show up with a good attitude, are you going to work harder or not as hard? All right. right. Good attitude, you can work harder. You work harder, you get good results. Good results? You know, all of a sudden it reinforces the attitude and like great leaders, great organizations cultivate culture and environment where you can do your best work. You, you nurture that attitude. You know, people feel safe. People feel heard. They know what's going on. They feel prepared. Like they, and they know the company has their back. Like if I get in a tough spot, my boss, Gene, will jump on the phone and help me out or take the tough call or make it right. Like when, when reps live in that environment, like they are on fire. They will, they'll do the activity at the highest level. They'll tell that story with conviction and energy each and every time because you got their back and you're creating a winning atmosphere. You know, I always talk about there are three fields of play. And so many leaders, you know, lead on the game field, like game time coaches. And they're, they're calling the plays and they're living like just in real time. But like the way you play is the way you practice. And not enough teams are practicing. Like how do you practice for the big meeting? Like how are you preparing for the big call? And like coaching in the practice, so when you show up to play, like it's a foregone conclusion of the execution. But then there's, a, there's one more field that often gets ignored, which is the locker room. It's like getting your team's head in the game. Because if the head's not in the game, you're not going to practice hard. If they don't practice hard, they can't play well. Mm -hmm. So I always focus on three fields. Like how are you leading and managing the locker room? How aggressively and consistently are you practicing the most important parts of your game? And then how do you show up and put it all to work and kick ass? I can't tell you the number of companies where I've gone in, Matt, and I talked about how do you prepare for the big presentation? And in most cases, what I discover is, you know, it's four or five people that are going into that major, big, multi-million dollar deal. They're meeting in the parking lot a half hour before going, okay, you're doing the first four slides. You're doing the next five. I'll take the next five. And, you know, what you're saying is so spot on. It's like, 
What are you doing behind the scenes? We know that we get rewarded in public for the things that we do in private. Yet, uh, I find a lot of people are hesitant on the practice side. Yeah. I'll tell you, it doesn't always work, Gene. I, was, uh, I flew into Chicago for a big presentation. And the day before, you know, for two hours, I was in a room with the, the local director, the manager, and the rep. And we kept game planning the meeting, how we were going to open it. I mean, this rep had called on the client for 11 years. For 11 years, she right. was knocking on the door, like unsuccessfully. We finally got in. 11 years. And we were going to use that as a story to really open up the meeting and set the tone of our consistency, our persistence. By the way, the same rep over 11 years, it speaks to the company's strength. And uh, so we choreographed the entire meeting. We role-played every objection, every angle that could go. And we walk in. And the rep starts and immediately just fell right, you know, right, right down to the gutter, right to prices. <laughs> right. <laughs> like or clung the to the slides or just clung to the slides. All the, all the prep we did would right out the window. Like, so what I would say is, you know, you can do all the prep and practice. It doesn't mean you execute every single time, uh, but you win more than you don't when you put in the hard work. So good. Matt, okay, obviously everybody's been hit with COVID, the elephant in the room. What are you doing now? What, what's adjusted in your business? First of all, I would say, you know, we're having record months. Um, so, and I only say that, and, and I know many companies aren't, like win, winning's still happening. Uh, but here's what I would say as leaders. Under normal times, I think there's three things that are super important. One is empathy. Uh, and I'll define that as an understanding and appreciation of what your team does every day. And what I find is many sales leaders get amnesia. Like they forget what it was like to carry the bag, to pick up the phone, like to grind out the day. Um, and we make a lot of decisions like without that true understanding. So stuff that we roll down makes no sense. And I think the first thing that we need to be doing, especially during COVID, where people are isolated, they're uncertain, uh, sometimes they're scared. Uh, many are working uh, in conditions that weren't meant to live and work and maybe kids in school all at the same time. So like if empathy was important before COVID, you could only imagine like empathy now in terms of the importance of leadership and keeping your, like if you wanna manage the locker room, like empathy right now is so important like really understanding and providing that extra room for your team to figure out how to balance everything that needs to be balanced in the conditions today so they can still do their best work. That's number one. Okay. Uh, the second, under normal conditions, you know, you want to have fun. People spend a lot of time working. Most people spend more time working than not working. Uh, and if it's a grind, like there's other places I can go. So lead, like we got to make it fun. And, and like spoiler alert, like, Doing things that you think are fun may not be fun for your teams. Let your team figure out what's fun for them uh, and do what they love to do. Don't make them do <laughs> okay. uh, and then COVID hits and it becomes even more challenging. Like, like we can't just go do a happy hour as a team or like president's club is not going to happen in Mexico this year. Like, so like, what are we doing for fun? And, you know, and, and think of things different. I just sat on a, uh, a zoom wine tasting. So everybody got their, little wine snifters sent to their homes and we did a virtual like, Zoom. But you, you got to figure out how to create fun in an environment today that 
that's very different. So it creates a, a different challenge. Third is do the right thing. Again, under normal times, you know, when a customer has a challenge, you got to do the right thing. When an employee has a challenge, you have to do the right thing. Now, under COVID, it just gets that much more, uh, you know, difficult in many cases. Like I've never been more exhausted, uh, worked harder as a leader than these last six months. And I've been doing this since 1987. I've been leading teams since 1993. So coming up on, you know, 27, 28 years of leading teams, I have never like worked this hard, been more exhausted, uh, but I've also never been more rewarded at the same time. Matt, I got to add, I remember when I went to work for you in the small to medium business division that you started at Gateway Computers, you were flying in, we had a meeting and I was nervous. I was like, okay, I'm meeting. I worked with Matt. Now I'm going to work for Matt. And I knew you were a hard charging, you know, tenured sales executive. He said, pick me up. I go, is there an agenda for the meeting? Don't worry about the agenda. We're going to get a couple hours one-on-one, -on -one, carve your morning or afternoon out. I pick you up. First thing we do is we go to McDonald's. You order two large black coffees. And I'm like, I don't drink coffees. And you're like, that's for me. That's not for you. The next thing we did is we went to, in Kansas City, I think it was Worlds of Fun, and we rode roller coasters. Now, I Mamba. wasn't a big roller coaster guy. Remember that? Yeah, Mamba. The Mamba, that's right. I was not a big roller coaster guy, but it was my boss and I had to get outside my comfort zone. And not only did we ride the Mamba, which was one of the biggest and baddest roller coasters around in those days, we had to ride it from the front, from the middle and from the back. <laughs> and, and from that day forward, I became a fan of roller coasters. So when you talk about having fun and I was like, this is supposed to, I thought I was had like pipelines and numbers and all these metrics and all this stuff in my head. And you totally stretched me just by simply exposing me to something new. We had fun. Our relationship bonded even more. I mean, great. I mean, you practice what you preach, which is so true. I think it's super important. You know, let, let your team know you're human just like they are. You know, and, and don't be afraid, you know, don't be afraid to go for a walk on your one-on-ones. Like, you know, so many leaders, like you go to their office for your one-on-one. -on -one. And it's like, no, like I'll come to your desk or why don't we just go for a walk or why don't we grab a coffee? Like, you know, just humanize the experience. And like, to your point, like take out this stigma, like it's gotta be spreadsheets and numbers. And like, no, man, like that, that's like just so stereotypical and, I think that sucks. Like, I, I want to have fun. I want people to feel like they can be their true selves. Yeah, yes, we'll have to talk spreadsheets and numbers. But when I want to get to know Gene McNaughton, I want to have a good time and, you know, create that memory and we'll stretch each other. By the way, it wasn't what, almost 15 years later, you and I rode roller coasters at a Tony Robbins event. So there you go. Tony Robbins event, Southern California. We're talking about the big one in Ohio. What's that one in Ohio? Cambridge. Cedar Point. Cedar Point, which is, we got to put that on the list for 2021. All right, Matt, let's keep moving. You've worked with thousands of reps over the years, Le like legit thousands. What would you say are some of the common characteristics of the best performers? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And, you know, I could say it's not a fair question because people are complex. Mm, yeah. And, you know, I, you know, 
we like coachability and intelligence and hard work, grit comes up. But I'll tell you that um, we actually did a study and we, we took a look and we, we took high performing reps, we took our lowest performing reps and we had some behavioral scientists run these algorithms and like what was the difference like behaviorally between reps that were consistently winning at the highest level, reps that weren't. And we actually found three things. Now, I would never say it's only three things, but I've, I've found these three to be very interesting for me and I'll share them with you to the extent that you'd like to use them and people listening. Uh, the first was bias for action. That people that had a high bias for action did better than those that don't like people that are just genuinely busy. And we see this all the time. Uh, some people coming early, they're just cranking on the phone. You know, they won't stop to do anything. Even if the fire alarm goes off, they find a way to keep making their calls. Other people have one good call, they surf the office. They have to go to everybody's desk and talk about the great call. It's like, dude, you have a great call. That's your energy for your next call. Get back on the phone. So bias for action, like, if you know, if you, if you're going to fall, fall forward. That gets you two more yards. Like, Matt, Matt remember we used to say, what, when's the best time to make a sale? Right after you made a sale. Get back on the phone. When you're, you ring the bell, get back on the phone because you've got the psychology, you've got the energy, you've got the momentum. That's right. That's exactly right. Uh, the next was operational neediness. So sales reps that were high in operational neediness tended not to do well, meaning... They had to have a certain computer, had to have a certain phone. What are my, what are my accounts? Like they needed all of these things to be in order for them to do their best work. And like, it's never in order. Like, you know, they always needed a report you didn't have. They always needed something they didn't have. And it was just an excuse for why they weren't producing. Conversely, there's people that can walk out naked in the middle of the desert and make it rain. Like they don't need anything. Like, <laughs> Like they just know how to do their work. And by the way, they're also naturally busy. The third one for me was the biggest revelation because the first two uh, have some level of, of course it's that way, was this notion of neutral empathy. And what, what we mean by that is the following. If you're overly empathetic, you end up having great relationships with your prospects, but you really, they don't buy from you. They commiserate to you. And if you don't have enough empathy, you're an ass and no one wants to do business with you. So I like to coin the term fair but firm. Like you'll listen or focus on solving their pain, business pain, and we're going to hold them to their commitments. We're going to be firm about it. We're going to drive the sales process to the mutually agreed upon timeline. And reps that can manage that timeline. Uh, are the ones that close. I can't tell you how many reps we hired. I, I never forget, I was at T-Mobile. We hired this great rep from AT&T. I was so excited. And she built pipeline faster than any new rep we had brought on. And I was so excited. And I kept the manager like, you know, when, when are we going to close? Like, when, when are we going to close? Like, you know, we got to get her producing. And she just couldn't convert. And she was, she was just overly empathetic. She had great relationships with these clients, but they wouldn't buy from her because she wasn't pressing on them appropriately. Yeah, things like scarcity or urgency, law of commitment, some of the things we've learned from our studies with, whether it's Cialdini or any of the other great authors that we both studied. 
Matt, this has been awesome. I'm so glad you joined us on the Sales Edge podcast. Now, I do have one final question. If you could give the listeners one piece of advice, and you know, I know a lot of us have these mantras we live by. Like, if you ever see me speak, you're going to hear me say things that I've heard from other people, such as you get rewarded in public for the things you practice in private, or or most people overestimate what they can do in 30 days, but they radically underestimate what they can do over a year. I didn't make those things up, but I heard those and I live by those. What, what are, what's that one nugget that, that you think about in your times of struggle or when you're dealing with somebody that's struggling? What's your favorite nugget? I think, um, you know, we talked about winning, you know, success is never final and failure is never fatal. Love that. Meaning, like, you know, you can continue to win and, you know, you get addicted to winning because winning rubs off real quick and you got to win again. But, you know, when you lose or, or when, like, it, it's not the end. Like, and if you're not failing, you're not, you're not learning, you're not, like, you're not on the edge breaking things. And I think, you know, to be, to be a, like a healthy view of what not winning is. Like, we talked about it's important to win, but when you don't win, learn from it. Like, it's okay. You won't win all the time, every time. Nobody does. And I think, I think just being comfortable, you know, knowing that when, when you fail, figure out how to learn from it. And like, don't punish your people for not winning. Like, look, if they're making mistakes, it's on you. Like, like take the ownership and the accountability. If someone on your team's not winning, it's because you didn't set them up right, or you're not holding them to the highest standard. That's so good. You're either winning or you're learning. Matt, this has been awesome. Friends, if you got value out of this, first of all, make sure you connect with Matt Millen on LinkedIn. That's the best way to observe what he's doing or get in contact with him with a direct message. And also, if you haven't yet downloaded your free chapter of the best-selling book, The Sales Edge, go to thesalesedge.co. That chapter is waiting for you. And it's my favorite chapter, How to Run the Perfect First Meeting. Also, if you want to learn how to go deeper with what we do at Growth Smart Consulting, you can easily get on a call with me at www.meetwithgene.com. There's no charge, no obligation, no pressure, but if you want to learn what we're doing for some of the biggest brands, recognizable household brands to help them hunt deals in a more effective, faster, more profitable manner, keep accounts because retention is its own strategy and grow those accounts because development is its own strategy. Go to meetwithgene.com. And as always, when you listen to these podcasts, we don't charge anything for these great nuggets of information, some of the experts I'm going to be bringing you. The only thing I ask is that if you like this, share it with somebody on your team. Share it with your direct reports. Take a picture of your phone and post it on social media. Pay it forward. You may not be the person that's that's driving new articles and podcasts yourselves, but you can be the conduit of helping other people be successful. And as Zig Ziglar, one of my favorites of all time, has always said, when you help enough other people get what they want, you will get what you want. Thanks for joining the Sales Edge podcast. Until the next episode, keep hunting, keep winning, keep growing, and keep winning. Thank you. Thanks.